Hello and welcome to this Gifted podcast episode on the role of business in society. I'm your host, Kareem Rushdie, and today we're discussing why the prevailing business-as-usual ideology is no longer fit for purpose, given the social, economic, and environmental challenges we face today. My guest is Bei Hu. As well as being a GIFT alumnus, Bei is a vice president at Linde China, where he heads up their East Region and Clean Hydrogen businesses. Linde is a 150-year-old German multinational and a world leader in industrial gases and engineering. Bay is no stranger to the industry, having previously held senior roles with chemical giant BASF in Germany, Singapore, and China. Bay, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Over the past 20 years, you've established yourself as a leader in the industry. Please tell us about your journey up to this point. What experiences have stood out and motivated you to remain and continue to make a difference in the industry? So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a German Chinese. I studied in China and later I have my PhD in, in Germany. So my, that was my really uh, one of very fulfilling to join BSF. You know, BSF is one also one of the very much appreciated and leading chemical company on this planet. So mm. join BSF. Very a lot of different roles, starting as engineer, later moving to finance for surveillance Oxley in Germany for the to the central finance, and afterwards while I was uh, have my delegation to Singapore, where I get to new, new new York guys. I was uh, first for the strategy for the controlling and the strategy, and later on PNL role for APEC. And that was a very exciting time. Also met you guys, learning how to really shape my journey forward. And uh, after my Singapore journey, actually another eight years, yeah, I was uh, put back to China, and uh, actually the company was sending me to the INSEAD EMBA. Uh, while almost accomplishing my INSEAD EMBA, I was appointed as vice president for two business units in China, which are the petrochemicals and the intermediates, which are actually the two fundamental business our pillars of our business in China today. And five years down the road. Uh, uh, maybe we can share a little bit more insight why I'm joining the uh, last year. I have the the opportunity to to change to Lindy. Where is my current role lies? I'm responsible for Lindy. Fifty percent, I would say half of the Lindy PNL in in China. While in addition, also head of clean hydrogen. That's that's where I'm here. I humble enough to say whether I'm not success or not successful, but I, I still appreciate the entire journey. Being being as a student coming to Germany with BSF, but also my last change with Lindy. I think one thing make me quite different from uh, many others is I'm a German Chinese. I would say I uh, I have uh, uh, represent a certain combination of uh, the two two cultures to be a rigorous designer, but at the same time, a disciplined executor. Uh, What makes me very, very uh, appreciative is really the desire to learn, but also combined with an overwhelming sense of achievement. And I mean, you've held held leadership roles across different portfolios. You're currently leading Lindy's clean hydrogen projects in China, which is, you know, potentially transformative technology in the shift away from fossil fuels. Uh, given the experiences you've had, what, in your view, is the role of business in society? And how has that role evolved over the past five to 10 years, particularly in light of you know, all the challenges that we face today, climate change, population pressures uh, and resource constraints? Yeah, I think the, uh, for every enterprises on this planet, the, I always believe there are three key pillars, the customers, the employees and the communities. 
Actually, Lindy as an organization today, we have the vision to make our customers to be more productive. Because Lindy has the, I would say, one of the most complete, one of the complete, in particular in the technical, in the chemical field, we have the most patented technology. Hence, oh, okay. we see we see ourselves as technology enabler. The second one is the employee. And actually, Lindy, uh, 140 years, actually, if you look at the development path, Lindy has produced a lot of uh, Nobel list and uh, a lot of, of innovators who has been remembered by, by the history. I think this is also a platform for employees to grow and to perform. And in China, we were rewarded since, last, since 10 years, the best employee of the year. And uh, mm. the last one, uh, actually, a central piece of our talk today is community. For yeah. 140 years, uh, company truly appreciate what community means. Being being committed to the society, to sustainability, and where we, later we can touch more in ba- in details is clean hydrogen. How this can help also the community and and the society to transform it, it, it each other. And last but not least, if these three key pillars are successfully reconciled with each other. I firmly believe it will mm-hmm. give a sustaining financial return to the to the stakeholders, which is also highly critical. Yeah, that's really that's a really key point because I think there's a belief out there that commitment to the community means cost and it's different from doing business and people see it as almost mutually exclusive. How can we be profitable and successful but also contribute to the to the community? And you know, different communities in different societies in different parts of the world are at very different stages of development, right? And they need different things. So a follow-up question to that would be, what role do you think businesses can play in helping developing nations with very large populations? So the likes of China, uh, India, Indonesia, Nigeria, Brazil, and others. How can business help these nations address existential threats like climate change, like, like resource constraints? Okay, I'm, uh, you know, thanks to my experience, I will not very much com- comment on other nations, but rather focus on China. And China is quite representative also from this perspective. China mm-hmm. is extremely resource constrained. I mean, uh, except, except in the chemical field, we, are, we, we all know all the energy, being energy uh, we are talking about, actually except the coal. China is actually very constrained in natural resources, in particular in the fossil oil. Hence, the energy transformation is a strategic imperative in China. It's not, it's not actually when China committed to the Paris agreements talking about decarbonization and uh, China, China strategic path forward, it, the clean hydrogen as, as one source for as an enabler has become the strategic imperative also for this nation. Uh, in, when we talk about China a little bit, you know, uh, there is also various mismatches. One classic mismatch is the renewables are in the remote west and the north region, while the consumption lies in the east source. And is where hydrogen or um, hydrogen derivative being the green ammonia or green methanol can be the solution as, as the energy transformation. So here we see ourselves, yeah, as, as an NNC, as, as a technology enabler, actually a critical role in the path forward while playing various technology being electrolysis, HRS, hydrogen transportation, liquid hydrogen, etc., etc., where I can also explain a little bit more in details. But in a summary means, those last nations are seeing actually energy transformation as a, as a threat, but at the same time, a significant opportunity if we, they can do the right thing. Right. So really, it's all about bringing those technologies which are appropriate 
which are localized, I assume, in, in some you know, different parts of the world, but bringing those technologies to help these countries transform, to help them move on to a, a new path of development, and particularly when it comes to weaning off fossil fuels. Um, I mean, you touched a little bit there on, on China and, and the role of the government in particular in setting strategy, uh, kind of charting the course, and then, you know, the private sector and society kind of jumps into, into line when they do that. But you've worked in different parts of the world. I'd love to hear your uh, insights on the kind of differences, the expectations on business in different parts of the world. So I know you know, Germany and China, the two places you, you probably spent the, the most amount of time, but how do these expectations differ from your experience? Um, on business when you look at somewhere like China or other parts of Asia as compared to, to Europe? And what do you think are the factors that determine the role business should play across different societies and cultures? Okay, I mean, I spent 13 years in Europe, eight years in Singapore, and another now, another eight years in China. So I, I would say that the German, the Europeans are, are prefer structure over individuals, and they are more long-term thinking. They, they debate, long time before they have a strategy. But once the strategy said that we are committed it, uh, along the journey for quite a long time, this is what I learned also in particular from BSF. And uh, the Asian, being Singapore, I would say I have a uh, working in Singapore, but later also in China, I have a lot of exposure. I think they are, they are more pragmatic. And the agility is one of the key, key things I think characterize the Asian lessons in, in particular in China. And uh, the can-do can spirit, I think this also enables them to be highly successful if you look at the past 20 years' success. Uh, but I still believe as an MNC, what the fundamentals is to, to apply a fundamental value, which is, can be applied for the global system. But at the same time, you can be smart enough and, uh, to possess the agility to comply with local rules and regulations. So uh, the, the classical word says, think, think globally and act locally is the principle of our success. So, I mean, what you're saying there is that actually companies need to adapt their strategy, not just based on the rules and regulations, but even the culture and values and philosophy of different countries and different parts of the world. So, as you say, in Germany, a lot of debate, a lot of discussion around strategy, but then when it's set, there's a long, long-term vision and you're kind of on that, on that journey. So companies need to almost reflect that in the way they do business. Whereas in, in, in China, it sounds like, yes, they do set grand plans, but at the same time, adapt, be agile along the way, always kind of be ready to, to change and, and go in a different direction, if the government also does, right? Absolutely, exactly. Yeah, interesting. Um, so you're, you're working on, on clean hydrogen. Uh, I want to hear a little, little bit more about this. Lindy as an organization has made sustainability and, and building societal resilience really a strategic long-term value driver. So based on your experience in helping lead this clean hydrogen initiative, how do you think businesses benefit from having you know, a higher purpose or a higher goal uh, that transcends, goes beyond the kind of financial goals uh, of the company? So it'd be great if you could share a little bit about clean hydrogen, what, what its potential is, and then this, how important it is for companies to have a, a bigger purpose. Happy to do that. I will say China at, is at a brink of change. In the last 20 years, MNC riding simply was riding the wave of a remarkable economic growth. Yeah, while leveraging their technology age and through massive investment into, into the China market. But in the new right. era of China, MNC has to make a change. I think the significant change is how to reinforce our core value. 
being sustainability ESH DNI decarbonization, you have a lot of buzzword around. But the key point is the, the many of the MNCs see this as a new opportunity to differentiate ourselves from the local competition. But at the same time, to play a critical role while we are enforcing those values, also help to shape a new China into the new era. Uh, just give you an example, uh, Lindy, maybe you know Lindy Gas a little bit, is a origin from Munich, and this company was the inventor of the, the air separation, yeah, the cooling system. And uh, actually, is this industry gas has de been developing into a hundred billion uh, revenue business in 140 years. Now, the belief is clean hydrogen in the next 10 years will become another hundred billion business, if not more meaning wow. a significant blue ocean for us, for, for many people. So we're, we're linking this technology, I mean, uh, hydrogen, if, uh, because we are hydrogen is gas, and we have been operating as Lindy. We are the number one, actually, in, in terms of uh, industrial gas in the world. So we are actually operating in the entire value chain of the, of the clean hydrogen. So it starts from producing hydrogen, and the second step is how to transport hydrogen, because it's a gas form. And the last is how to consume and use hydrogen. In these mm. three key segments, actually, Lindy has various technology to play with. Starting with the producing hydrogen, actually, we Lindy's hydrogen global uh, production capacity amounts to three to five percent of the global capacity, which is more or less Sinopec. Yeah, Sinopec is the number one in China. So you you see the order of magnitude. And the second part, as I mentioned, is transportation. And Lindy has been successfully operate more than uh, 1,000 kilometers hydrogen pipeline in the U.S. And we mm -hmm. even has uh, the technology, I think, the only technology in the world, the underground storage of hydrogen, which is significantly unique from underground natural gas, LNG, LPG. Another very differentiated technology from Lindy uh, is liquid hydrogen. Liquid hydrogen has applied for military uses, uh, for satellite, but now it has uh, entered also commercialization into the society for the, for the mm. com commercial use. Uh, and uh, my ambition is together with Lindy's technology, we would have at least three liquid hydrogen plants to serve the power zone. One is North China, East China, and South China. Uh, and and uh, I, I would say in terms of liquid hydrogen, 50%, more than 50% of the technology today applied in the world, merely in the US, so to a certain extent in Asia and in Europe, and actually are Lindy technology. So this is also uh, very much inspire me why I'm joining Lindy. The last but, but, but least is actually the consumption end. Uh, actually, two specific uh, fields we can talk about. One is in the industry area. In China, in particular, the coal chemicals, they are facing significant threat in terms of decarbonizing. Actually, hydrogen can play a very critical role. The second field is mobility. So all we said, I, I would say it, it's a change change environment for us all. But if we really see this as, as an opportunity like clean hydrogen for other transformation, I think Lindy or other many other MNCs or, or enterprises has a critical role to play. I would say in the next 20 years, if we still want to prevail, the, the core differentiation is our commitment to sustainability or decarbonization and our carbon footprint. Yeah, I'd love to hear because I think many of our listeners, you know, don't come from technical background. So I'd love for you to share a little bit more about what, what's so special about clean hydrogen? Why is it even called clean hydrogen? How is that different? Is there a dirty hydrogen? Uh, tell us a little bit more. Tell us a little bit yeah. more about this technology. 
Yeah, actually, I'm uh, you know I'm just one year with uh, Lindy. I, I uh, I'm uh, heading this role for uh, last eight eight months. Okay, what was uh, actually uh, we talk clean hydrogen is uh, produced uh, with electrolysis from from renewable energy. Yeah. So you, you have water and you can produce hydrogen and oxygen. This is the mm. classical we call clean hydrogen. Why clean hydrogen? Because it differentiated from the blue or gray hydrogen. The gray hydrogen, what, what we are talking about today is many hydrogen are produced from coal chemicals, from other industrial, from chemical production, or from off-gas, purification from off-gas. And all those uh, uh, hydrogen are actually still has strong carbon footprint. And all those are clustered as non-clean hydrogen. There are, there are really high expectations on business to lead these days because the trust in government across the world, trust in government is, a, is at an all-time low. But what, what do you think are the limitations? And particularly, you know, you're in China, very strong state government is very active in the economy. What are the limitations on business to solve the existential threats that we face? And how can large companies, and I'd love to hear any examples you have. How does a large company like Lindy collaborate with government to play an active role in overcoming these challenges? Okay, uh, actually I, I recently I was participating in one of the very high profile CEO panel and uh, of uh, joined from 100, over 100 CEOs and, and from MNCs in Shanghai. The key takeaway, the CEO takeaway is, they are saying why many opportunity remain for MNC, the China risk profile has increased. Why? Because the government intervention, I expected it to be more intensified and uh, uh, to a certain extent, maybe unpredictable in the, in the future to come. So, uh, but, but still the recommendation is to actively engage while mindful of de-risking in China. So it has become a strategic imperative for MNCs to enhance our engagement with at the government level as one of the key stakeholders in China. Uh, one example is, uh, I can give you uh, two examples. One is from Lindy. You know, today we are doing the clean hydrogen. I have was passionately explained to you why liquid hydrogen, yeah, one of our core technology, as, uh, as the D technology enabler in for China also to shape the new future of the society. One thing we are doing today is really to lobby the government how to create the industry standard because liquid hydrogen has there is a zero commercialized liquid hydrogen plant in China now. So Lindy right. is actively participating in the industrial society and uh, associations, but also together with SOEs like Sinopec, we want to collectively also lobby the government, but also to a certain extent also educate the government how to set the right industry standard for a sustainable future, leveraging our various expertise in the US, but also in Europe. I think this is, this is one thing we see. We still have a critical role to play, and in particular also in, uh, through engagement, active engagement with the government. The second one is you know very well, BSF has uh, announced a mega project in South China, in, in, in Zhejiang, we call it Golden Island. And uh, you know, the Golden Island project was born in a very unique uh, time window Why there was a US and China confrontation and the German company has a special window opportunity to get the NDRC approval for 100% for, for investment. And uh, I was personally involved in that project. Actually, you, I, I know how government uh, leverage can be appreciated if you play smart at SPSF. You, you just mentioned NDRC. I think a lot of our, I know what the NDRC is, having lived in China, but I think a lot of our listeners won't, won't be aware. So they are, they are kind of the arm of the government in China that makes sure 
particularly on, on the industrial side, that industrial development is aligned with national development plans, right? And making sure that, that all those gaps are going to be filled. Yes. And I think, you know, every country has something similar, but I've never seen uh, any commission or any uh, department or ministry that's as effective as the NDRC. Because, you know, the way, the way China governs, when they make a plan, things start to happen very quickly, which is quite different from, from many other countries. Um, okay, Bay, last question for you. And it's kind of, a, you know, to summarize, I think, uh, your, your experience and to give some advice to people listening who might be inspired, but they're not sure where to start. Um, they feel a lot of pressure to meet their BAU responsibilities, to meet their KPIs, etc. But how can individuals in business, who are passionate, who do want to make a difference like you, how can they strike a balance between making sure they meet their responsibilities, their BAU responsibilities, their, their KPIs, uh, but at the same time question their assumptions, you know, challenge convention and act very boldly uh, to affect positive change in society? I mean, uh, you are right, as, as today's leader has become the leadership uh, as a task has been is a very complex one. There is no silver bullet, so you yeah. have to de- deter- determine the right one, which fits, which is truly committed to your company values, but also have uh, can be smart enough. You can be agile enough in the local in the local market. I would say today's leader has to strike the the very delicate balance between deliver operational performance. Otherwise, you don't have any trust from the management, from the headquarters. But at the same time, also looking into what we can do next, what is next best practices. So I I would say today, yeah, uh, we, uh, from the positive thinking point of view, as as an enterprise, as a leader, we have to seize inequality, environment changes as an opportunity for us as I already mm-hmm. referred to in my previous answers. So, yeah. as, as I said, as a clean hydrogen, we are ship another 100 billion industry. It's a great opportunity for us. And at the same time, we, it again, has, uh, Lindy is helping to transform China to the next level as, uh, towards decarbonization. I mean, if this true major purpose, this high purpose can be aligned, high purpose, but also the, the long-term KPI and uh, profitable return can be secured. This is the best thing on this planet we can imagine as business leaders. But yeah. but what what we can implement is really to create also a sense a sense of urgency and a sense of a, a sense of change. That this has become the new normal in China and in this planet. Everyone has to embrace change, and if the the leader can embrace change himself, but also empower the entire team to 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 create new paths to for for changes. I think this will be a beautiful journey ahead. What do you do on a personal level to make sure that you are aware of opportunities, that you are aware of the changes that are taking place? Because it's very easy to get stuck in the weeds of the day-to-day business, meeting those targets, etc. So what do you do? To, you're very, I know you're a very curious person because I remember you on, on the program. Uh, you, you love learning. So what do you do to make sure that you're always learning and that you're kind of able to connect the dots and see those opportunities and threats uh, when they arise? Uh, every day, I would say, as a leader, you you at least has to reserve thirty percent of your time to think, to reflect, to think about: Am I doing the right thing? Is is the current process in order? Do I have the right people? So you need to have some time reserved to, for yourself to have uh, procritical thinking. So uh, everyone should have his own habit of reflection 
to think about yeah. it. Not not just overwhelmed only with a, a deep dive in the operating time. Sometimes you really have to deviate yourself from a little bit. Have your own habit. Think about what is our about myself. Have I improved? What I have learned? What failure I made? Can I do it better? What come next? What is next week? What is next next month? What is next year? I think all this habit has been enable me to think a, a little bit broader. What I can do next. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Bay, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. I'm Kareem Rushdie, and you've been listening to the Gifted Podcast.